0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com weightloss. Today we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Circe. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Albion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities. We learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Circe. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Cersei on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Greetings, Maltopians, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. Join us on our new Discord at the link in the description to talk about your favorite series and episodes and to help support us, give us a quick rating and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Discord. And as always, enjoy the show.
2: I watched his mouth move up and down and occasionally make a slight sideways movement. All the while, his words seemed so empty, dry, a desert of worthless sound. The ceiling fan made a constant hum as it stirred the air. There was something exciting about the hum. It was the sound of something beginning. The drone felt like it came from within me ancient machinery being primed for the first time in millennia. I never realized it before, but I was starting to see the stars, drawing lines between them, creating constellations from a sky full of dead space and little glowing dots. I was changing. I'd seen Greg a number of times on and off over the years for various things. Bad breakups, career anxiety, garden-variety depression... He was always mildly comforting, yet never for the quality of his advice, just the company I could buy at a relatively cheap rate. And he never brought up drinking, which was refreshing. The few other therapists I dealt with were only ever focused on filtering my life through that singular lens, as if drinking were the cause of all my problems and not a symptom. We'd gone to college together, had a few drinks from time to time, slept together on occasion even crushed on each other, if only when all other prospects seemed hopeless. So, after I found out that he'd received his PhD and set up shop nearby, I stopped by his office. It was a pale renewal of a faint friendship, but it got me bargain rates. Of course, I've been there for him, too. Psychology is a cold tool, maybe even colder than journalism. All that antiseptic reasoning can leave the mind feeling bleached. And Greg, God knows why, always seemed to find my company rejuvenating. I couldn't tell him the specifics behind my anxiety, even though I knew I could trust him. But, but trust only lasted as long as there was attachment. And who knew when I might use him, or piss him off, or simply decide to let the friendship die. That was when Lips started getting lazy with secrets. My reputation was marred enough without adding insanity to the pile of dirty laundry. I came as close to the real issue as I could, hoping Greg's insight might reassure me that I wasn't going crazy seeing dead dogs stuffed with dead people and a witch of pure evil spouting riddles. But apparently, advanced degrees aren't all they're cracked up to be. All I got out of the visit was a list of foods that might improve REM sleep and a tentative coffee date for the following week. After I returned home from my head shrinking, such as it was, I let my mind drift while staring out the kitchen window. I had always been an empty person, I realized. That fact was what probably led me to choose a career in journalism in the first place. Reporting doesn't leave a lot of room for introspection, just inspection of the world without and, on rare occasion, the world within. As a journalist, and as a person, I was just a reflection of a world that didn't contain me. But now, everything seemed to be changing. Something was in the mirror with me, trying to reflect me. And as was the case, when you held a mirror up to another mirror, the reflected image infinitely regressed, shrinking away smaller and smaller as it multiplied itself into oblivion. I could feel that oblivion fast approaching. Strangely, I still felt compelled to continue investigating the Bowers' family murder-suicide. Or more specifically, I was compelled to learn more about the wretched woman from the video, and how she'd come to know the Bowers. My sleep, and perhaps more, depended on some kind of resolution. Before I knew it, I was on the road to the small plot of land the murdered family had left behind. The road to the site was rough, more like a dirt path than an actual road. There was nothing for miles around, just forest that swallowed up civilization the deeper in I traveled. I imagined myself driving the road at night with a captive in the trunk. I thought of the depraved excitement I might feel, knowing all along the forest would absorb any cries for help from my victim. But I couldn't imagine the specific species of depravity these killers might have been beholden to. Hell, as of yet, I couldn't even prove the Bowers were killers. Something told me they were far worse and it wasn't the typical journalistic hunch that said so. It was something else, maybe something with burning red eyes and a sinister voice. But as for facts, the Bowers thus far were nothing more than victims of their nutcase family member. I came relatively unprepared for the trek through the woods, with nothing more than an old survey map I printed off the internet from some obscure surveying website. As fate would have it, the police before me, or quite possibly the Bowers themselves, had already created a small footpath into the thickets. I was at the trailer in less than an hour. The structure was barely visible among the tangles and snags of the forest. A lump of dirty metal hunched amongst the foliage. Nothing indicated any kind of habitual presence. No firewood, tools, lawn chairs. It had set idle for who knew how long. The inside was remarkably clean, even if everything was scattered about and in no particular order. I suspected that was the police's doing. Nearly all the appliances showed little to no wear, as if they had never been used at all. I grew more convinced of my theory by the moment, yet the trailer wasn't really my primary destination. I spent the afternoon following the map, checking the caves in the immediate area. They were either small and nondescript or simple holes leading underground. Nothing immediately indicating an intricate network big enough for the dark comings and goings of a family of industrious killers. On my way to one last location marked on the map, a strong sweet aroma permeated the air. I cast about looking for the source. Pear trees. They were all over the place. Their fallen overripe fruit lay scattered throughout the area. The scent grew strongest near a sharp rise in the landscape towards a dense stand to the east. Nearing the edge of a steep rise, I found the mouth of a cave, concealed by overgrowth and fruit trees. I consulted the map, finding nothing. I stared dumbly at the opening. The dream had foretold the location of the cave. A gigantic dead dog chock-full of murdered people, had told me where to find a hidden cave. There was no other way to look at it. My 38 was out in an instant, trained on the surrounding forest on the lookout for ghosts and serial killers. Taking deep breaths, I pulled myself together and readied my flashlight. The cave was a large rock hallway, the kind you see in movies where the going is only hindered by darkness. After several minutes, I came upon something expected. A door. The thing was built into the narrowing throat of the cave, bolted right to the stone. It even had a lock on it. I hadn't come that far to be stopped by a padlock. The gunshot nearly deafened me as I blew the lock off the door. Pulling the heavy door open, I found a flight of stone stairs descending into darkness. Still a bit on the jumpy side, more so because of the whole pear tree issue than anything. I was also steeled by the fact that the bowers were dead. The place was likely empty. Black sconces hung anchored to the walls on either side of the stairway with little bits of burned down torches still in them. Reaching the bottom of the steps, I pointed my flashlight into the widening darkness. The light fell on a towering creature wrapped in black clothing, glaring at me with black eyes. I emptied my four remaining rounds into the thing, blasting it to the ground. I wasn't as shocked as I should have been, only curious as to what I'd killed. I drew closer to it while fumbling with the flashlight and a coat pocket full of extra rounds. Reloaded, I fired two more into the prone thing's head. Taking a closer look, the creature was a composite of different body parts. Like... Some kind of Frankenstein's monster. Unlike the monster from the book, this thing had never been alive, at least not after it had been assembled. <laughs> I just shot a corpse. What the hell were the Bowers up to when the hour was late? This was their secret? Behind the acrid smell of gunsmoke, the damp air was heavy with meat and oil, leading me to a large room behind the monster. I entered the chamber and shined my light, staring. There were things, monstrous things, made from animals and humans and metal and bone. They rose into the darkness two or nearly three times the size of a man, filling the huge room. There were even pulleys and scaffolding and small cranes, all for assisting in the hellish construction of the makeshift abominations. Telling myself to keep it together, I searched the tables and workbenches, soon coming upon a small bookshelf against one of the stone walls. It contained a number of notebooks, some of which were incredibly old, their pages preserved in transparent plastic sleeves. I plucked one of the older journals from the shelf and sat on a nearby stool for a quick read. Apparently, all the monster-making was not the effort of a single generation of Bowers, but a project that spanned generations. They were building an army of slave beasts, which would serve them during an event they called the Great Darkness. I had no idea what that was supposed to be, but the Bowers were obsessed with preparing for it. Yet, as interesting and horrible as the Bowers turned out to be, they weren't the ones I was trying to illuminate. I wanted to know how the witch from the video figured into it all, and why a generational quest had been destroyed by her absence. I was just about to return above ground when, exploding through the dead silence, I heard a door slam shut. Somewhere in the monster-stuffed darkness, I heard something cackle. The sights of my snub nose tracked the oval of illumination from the flashlight as it darted around the huge room, looking for some sign of the intruder. My heart raced as I chided myself. I regretted ever exploring the mystery behind the tapes and all the nightmares that came with them. Something hit the wall behind me and rolled across the floor, a diversion. I kept the gun trained on the spaces in front of me, withholding both a backward glance and a bullet. I kept silent, trying to keep as much of myself a mystery as I could manage. I backed up to the wall, disallowing as many paths to my person as possible. Something else hit a distant wall. I wasn't going to bite but internally, I was doing the math, trying to calculate the center point from which the two objects might have been thrown. The silence was absolute, so if the cackler had moved, I would have heard. I arrived at a likely location, an area just behind a tall pile of wood, and fired. The shot exploded the darkness, overexposing the room for a split second and coaxing a shriek and a curse from the cackler. The voice was female, old and cracked. It seemed low to the ground, but most importantly, the shriek wasn't at all far from where my bullet struck. I decided to push my luck. I advanced on the stack of wood, my 38 at the ready. Nothing, but there were tracks in the thick dust, two tire tracks. Was my stalker in a wheelchair? I followed the tracks until I heard the creak of thin wheels and the frantic wheezing of a geriatric. (laughs) I decided it was my turn to be the scary one. I hear you over there, old woman. Turn those wheels as fast as you like, but sooner or later… I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. She wound her squeaky wheelchair in and out between the sprawling ranks of monster mannequins trying to lose me. I picked up my pace, starting through the lines of dead things. The old crone knew the terrain far better than I did, so much so that she was managing just fine without a flashlight. But I was gaining on her. All sounds of her movement vanished, and I tossed my light around the chamber, searching. Nothing but piecemeal monsters. I waited for the inevitable ambush. Still nothing. I decided to change tactics, snatching a cleaver from the hand of a nearby monster. Whipping my jacket out of the way, I tucked it into my belt at the small of my back. Rounding a corner, my flashlight beam fell on the cackler. She sat almost directly in front of me, staring a hot hole through my face. This was no ordinary old woman, but a bent and withered demoness dressed in withered paisley and blades. Looking like a throne of bones, her wheelchair was adorned with skulls and hides, both animal and human, and all manner of knives and spears. A small engine roared to life in the darkness, echoing off the rock walls. (laughs) The old bitch had been toying with me, pushing herself along quietly for a little cat and mouse. Her yellow feral eyes glittered like drops of piss as the beam of my flashlight hit her full in the face. She fired back, her chair projecting its own light, far brighter than my own, blinding me. Her cackling rose above the revving of the engine as she charged, blades out. I fired blind, hoping luck was still with me. It wasn't. I screamed as a blade punched through my upper thigh, tearing outward as she roared past me. I could feel the torn flap of flesh slapping against my knee as I fell to the ground. I couldn't believe it i was going to be killed by an extra from mad max in a satanic taxidermy museum the collision knocked her off course causing her death chair to skid out of control the old demon cursed as she tried to bring it back under her control (laughs) despite the pain i couldn't help but laugh with her lights out of my face i took aim and emptied my weapon into her As the engine whined its last, I took out my cleaver and limped towards the pile of flesh and bones that had spilled, spitting and swearing from its throne of death. You crazy, nasty
1: old bitch! I ought to put this cleaver right between your eyes. Ha! Do your worst, missy. Old Grammy Rose will chew on them purty little eyes of yours when the world goes all evil and dark. You can bet your sweet little ass on that, I can tell ya.
2: Oh yeah, I almost forgot about your fucked up little prophecy. You morons think your army of Frankensteins is going to wake up and take marching orders, right? You
1: just wait, missy. You'll see. And you'll wish to hell you hadn't.
2: There was something dreadful mixed into her words. Down there in the dark, surrounded by monsters and death, it seemed like she was telling me an awful secret. Well, if you're right, you'll be the only one calling the shots because the rest of your merry band of nutjobs is dead. Your friend Charlie went and stuffed all their murdering asses up into the guts of that big old dog of theirs. I smiled, waiting to see her reaction. The woman seemed to shrivel into herself. She began to weep and I almost felt sorry for the old monster, until she revealed what I'd come to learn.
1: It, it was that bitch! She did this to him! To all of us! She killed everything! Everyone! Oh, poor, poor Grammy Rose! What am I gonna do now? None of us had a chance!
2: She wept, fully revealing how old age, grief, and madness had twisted her features beyond the strictly human. Her eyes were untamed, savage, barely containing her shrewdness. She was deadly, even without her little killing machine. Who is she, old woman? You'll tell me, or so help me, I'll leave you in little red pieces. You got me? I raised my cleaver nearly electric with anticipation. The old woman's expression changed. Her wrinkles flowed like currents of dust across her hideous face, collecting into a toothless grin.
1: Ah, seen her, have ye? Then you'll know all too soon. She's already got ye, I'd wager. (laughs) I got more bad news
2: then. She's dead too. I guess it's not a good time to start up a family business in the serial killing market. The old crone just looked at me, her gaping smile widening.
1: Evil like that don't die, honey. You'll learn that too. And probably far, far too late at that. Oh, Who the fuck is she? Why, she's death. Girly. Pure and sweet. Like venom and honey. And you already went and drank her in, didn't ya? <laughs> and now <laughs> you you ain't got no chance at all, Missy. <laughs> Not a chance in hell. <laughs>
0: Today we'd like to introduce you to a great fantasy audio drama called Cersei. The show is similar to Lord of the Rings, except that it focuses on an awesome gay sorceress on the planet of Albion. Thyra is recording stories of her past to help regain her magical abilities. We learn of her life and how she came to be a member of the Cersei. If you're a fan of gay stories and characters, Lord of the Rings and Xena the Warrior Princess, you'll love this show. Check out Cersei on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.